is the Disenfranchised Podcast, with a podcast all about those, you know, those uh, franchises of one, those films that fancy themselves uh, like uh, full-fledged franchises, but, uh, you know, fall flat on the face after the first film. I'm uh, I'm your host, uh, Stephen Foxworthy, and uh, joining me as always is, uh, is my co-host, Tucker. Hey, Tucker. Hey, yo, Absolutely. Absolutely, yo. yo we're hey. just we're just a couple yo. of good guys who got to ask a lot of bad questions. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Stephen. How's it going? <laughs> it's going, man. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. <clears throat> doing well. Oh man, Tucker, there is, in defiance of God's will, a fourth Expendables movie dropping this weekend. There is, yeah. And yeah. so, look, we've we have we've 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 threatened it for a while. But it's finally time for us to talk about a Sylvester Stallone movie on this podcast. And so what Sylvester Stallone movie did we choose to talk about today? Tucker. We're talking about Cobra, the coolest VHS box ever. I'm going to need you to do another take of that. And I'm going to need you to say it like you did in the G.I. Joe episode. What did I? How did I do that in G.I. Joe? Cobra! So what movie are we watching this week, Tucker? Uh, Well, Steven, we're watching the Sylvester Stallone classic, also best VHS cover ever. Cobra! From 1986, it's Cobra. uh, Written by uh, Sylvester Stallone based on a novel by Paula Gosling, directed by George P. Cosmatos. And starring Sylvester Stallone, Brigitte Nielsen, Rennie Santori, Andrew Robinson, Brian Thompson, John Herzfeld, Lee Garlington, Art LaFleur. What a cast. Tucker, what a picture. I will agree. This director has made some really good movies. Uh, Based on what I have heard, uh, (laughs) he did not really direct much of this one, though. It shows. It fucking shows. Yeah. Um, this is, this was his, I mean, Stallone kind of came in and, and threw his weight around is, is what I, is what I am given to understand. He, he went, on, he came in there and put his thing down. He he put his thing down and he flipped it and reversed it. Oh, um, all right. So you go in there and put your thing down. <laughs> all right. You will put your thing down. Uh, but yeah, this is the man who also gave us the best Rambo movie. First blood part two and tombstone, which is fucking wow. Great. Big. Big fucking disagree. I think First Blood is the best with Rambo, the fourth film in the series, being the second best. Two and three being worthless piles of garbage. Uh, Two is the one where it where Rambo becomes Rambo. But that's not I'm sure I'm sure you think Last Blood is probably the best of the best of the best. Right. Oh, that one is the worst of the entire fucking series because they take what was great about the first one and the fourth one and they pretend like that's what it's going to be, but then they just shit down its throat. Hmm. Fucking hate yeah. that. I was so disappointed. I think that's the most disappointed I've ever been in Sylvester Stallone. Wow. The, the and look, let's be honest, uh, a disappointing uh, performer, Sylvester Stallone, just generally speaking. Maybe for you. I, I think look, he's the I, shit. More times than not, I have been... I, that's what I mean, though. But I that's think what he's I mean, a very though. fucking talented man. Because you haven't seen Copland, man. 
I still have not seen Copland. I have not seen the remake of uh, Get Carter. Uh, and I He's have also. Okay in... Well, the movie's okay. He's good in it. The movie's not that great. It's sure. fine. Uh, I have not seen. What's that? Uh... Michael Caine shows up, which is kind of fun. I mean, the original Carter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I, know. I, I saw the original Get Carter. The original Get Carter is fucking incredible. Oh, yeah. Like, it's that, really good. I think that's, that's the only reason movie. the remake isn't as good because if it weren't called Get Carter, it would be just fucking fine. But right. to come off of the original, it just. It, doesn't really do anything right except for the casting and i mean let's be honest rocky fucking great franchise like we love rocky dude you gotta get into those you gotta get into those sylvester stallone deep cuts man stuff like i see you which was this detective movie he did that was really good you gotta see um uh fist future episode of tukey takeover aka Straight up fist. We're doing that one in February, I think. I think that's no, right. I think we're doing parents. No, yeah, we're doing yes, fist in February. Yeah, that was the movie he did right off of Rocky, bombed, but it is amazing and it has much better politics than this piece of shit. I mean, yeah, no, the the no, the politics are bad in this because let's um, let's be clear, Cobra is just dirty Harry if he just really had his head up his own ass it this is like dirty harry meets death wish cranked up to 11 is what this is yeah and it it's kind of the last movie like this of this era um like they don't make them like this anymore they really can't shouldn't no. make them like this anymore we're um, glad that they did but we don't need any more correct um, which again, this, because look, we're covering on this podcast, which means they absolutely wanted to sequelize this and it, <laughs> it didn't sure happen because this is right around the time when, uh, Canon is crumbling, uh, which we did we talk, talk about. about Canon. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's do, let's talk about Canon. Like Tucker, what is your, what is your history with Canon films? What is your favorite Canon film? Do you, what, what movie do you think of when you see the Canon logo across the screen? Like we did for Cobra today. I don't. Um, no love for Canon. It's, it's something that kind of slipped under the radar. I've probably seen stuff. I'd have to pull up like, um, list of Canon films. Because, see, here's the thing. I, I cannot imagine. You seem like the kind of person who would dig some canon movies. Uh, okay, I'm in 68. Okay, nope, 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 nope. Crucible of Horror, maybe. Um, Silent Night, Bloody Night. I did used to own that. That's something I'm aware of. Eye Monster is something I'm aware of, but I have not seen. Uh, Blood Feast. I know that one. Okay, here's more modern here. And by modern, I mean the 80s. Okay, Happy Hookers. Are these all... Oh, there's Death Wish 2. Yeah, I was going to say, they did a lot of the Death Wish sequels, yeah. But like Break In 2, Electric Boogaloo. They did Break In. I was going to say they did Break In, which is the far superior film out of the two. It's just people really love the title of the second one. I mean, look, they rushed... Um, the second one into production and it came out later the same. Oh, they did a rapping. Yeah. Rappin'. They, they were like, look, we, we found success with street dancing. Let's, let's try rapping. 
Yeah, this is, well, Delta Force, I'm aware of that, but this is really just a big blind spot for me because these aren't really the kind of B-movies I was into. Texas Chainsaw 2, yeah, I'm into that for sure. Oh, yeah, love that. My... One of the best sequels of all time. I I am um, with you on that. <laughs> I think you and I are in the minority on that, but I talked on uh, Pod and the Pendulum. It Literally, no one else wanted to come on that episode, so it's just me and Mike talking about how much I love the sequel to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's so good. Yo, they did Alien from L.A. Have you ever seen Alien from L.A., Stephen? I have not, Tucker. It's a movie that stars Kathy Ireland. Okay. And she wears big glasses. And she speaks in a squeaky voice the whole time on purpose. It's not even her voice. It's part of the character. That sounds really obnoxious. It's a... It's about this gal whose dad disappears and he's like a scientist and she is looking for him and she finds herself in like this underground world, very much like kind of like little monsters meets something like Tank Girl. Mm -hmm. It's a really, really weird movie. And there was actually a sequel to it. I don't remember what it was called. Uh, I saw it on season seven of Mystery Science Theater back in the day when that was airing. Right on. Oh, they did I the mean, TV show DC Follies. Okay. Remember DC Follies, the creepiest shit you've ever seen in your life? Mm-mm. Nope, sure don't. It was a political comedy where all of the politicians on the show were played by creepy-ass fucking puppets. Hmm. Yeah, I remember that when I was a kid. We used to watch that shit. But yeah, this is a big blind spot to me. Because like I said, at this time, when this kind of stuff was coming out, when I would have been interested in this, um, I was strictly into horror. And I was actually talking to this to talking about this to someone earlier today it's like i am a lover of all cinema but my roots are in horror right like that's how i became a fan of all cinema is i got my start in horror that's where i began my love for cinema so at this time like yeah it would just be a blind spot uh i would encourage anyone who wants to know more about the history of canon um and kind of their rise and fall and everything in between. There is a 2014 documentary by Mark Hartley called Electric Boogaloo, The Wild Untold Story of Canon Films. I watched that during quarantine a couple years ago, and it is really fucking good. Uh, it is a really, really good documentary. And it kind of made me want to like go watch a bunch of uh, of Canon movies, honestly. Like, I'm for sure interested in the documentary. What's Is it streaming anywhere? Um, let me find out. <gasps> and then after this, you're, you're going to ask me my history with this film, right? I, I am. Yeah. And I, I know, okay. I know I exactly what you're about to thing. No, I'm, well, I mean, look, Canon is, is kind of on their way out. They're, they're losing relevance around this time. I think the same year that this movie comes out, they, um, they're, they're, making their last film that's going to be Oscar nominated, which is the Christopher Reeve film street smart. Um, basically he comes back to do Superman four. So they'll let him do that movie. Um, and it was not very well received by most people, uh, but it did end up getting an Oscar nomination, I suppose. So there's that, but yeah, that was kind of his like, the thing that he that was like his little passion project. Um, the uh, Electric Boogaloo is it looks like uh, it's available to rent. It looks like on YouTube, oh. 
but I do not see it streaming free anywhere. Oh no, it's not on YouTube any longer. That's a bummer. Double boo. Yeah, it doesn't even look like it's. I think you can rent it. I'm looking to see if you can rent it anywhere. Um, Lost forever. I'm, I'm not seeing it. That's that's a kind of a bummer. I would again, if you if you have the means and and can find it somewhere to check out. Uh, I definitely would recommend checking that out because it is it's very fun. It's a very fun little movie. So worth your time. And again, if you're interested at all in that, I would I would do so. So, yeah, Superman Quest for Peace came out the same year. Uh, So, yeah, he does it because Canon agrees to fund Street Smarts uh, or Street Smart period. Just once just one smart. Um, But yeah, smart. Um, but I mean, this is, uh, so that's, I'm sorry, that, that comes out the following year. This is 86, that's 87. Uh, but they also have, um, around this, uh, time they're releasing, uh, Toby Hooper's life force, which is very expensive. Uh, the masters Mm -hmm. of the universe movie, which is a huge debacle. Uh, that one performs so poorly that they like scrap the sets and use them for, uh, uh, give them, uh, to, um, Pune, Albert Pune, to make uh, to make a movie like it just just a classic fuck up across the board there, um, but yeah, I mean, Canon they made cheap B movies and in some instances made them fairly well and were able to make a lot of movies that most people wouldn't, other, no other studios probably would have made, um, which is why Canon's always got a little respect from me. I'll, I'll always put some respect on the Canon name for sure. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's kind of Canon and that's the studio that this comes out of. Um, the origin, uh, well, let's, before we get into the origins of this movie, let's talk about our histories with Cobra. Tucker, what is your history with Cobra? Cobra! Cobra! Well, I've always been very interested in this film, but I've never seen it. You were very excited to finally cover this movie. Very excited. Much like The Phantom. Mm-hmm. Something I've always wanted to watch, but I've just it's just never found its way to my eyeballs. I've always been very interested in the VHS box art mm-hmm. from the time I was a child until now. It's just iconic. It's very simple. It's it's like it is the eighties action movie box art. It's perfect. Stallone never looked better. I mean, it's it's, it's, amazing. The, it's the one image of this movie. It's Stallone with the gun and the sunglasses. Like it's an aviators, dude. Right. That's that's what I mean. And that is his prim- in his mouth. That is the primary look that he gives in this movie. He is serving that look, as the kids might say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, I've always enjoyed that. um that box art, but I never watched it. Now, I do have history with a lot of the people involved in this film, which is another reason I was very excited to see it. Mm-hmm. Because our good friend George P. Cosmatos, mm-hmm. uh, not to be confused with his father, who was just George Cosmatos. Sure. Um, who directed Zorba the Greek, by the way. Oh, not right that on. Matters. But uh, yeah, his dad was a, a big name in Hollywood. Uh, before he was, and I have always been a big fan ever since I caught it on HBO when I was a kid of a little movie called Of Unknown Origin. Hmm. 
which is directed by the same man who directed Cobra. <clears throat> and of unknown origin stars Peter Weller. Your boy Peter Weller. He, he fights a rat. The whole movie is about this rat that gets into his house and fucks shit up. And Peter Weller fights that rat. And that's the hmm. whole movie. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. If Barbara from Night of the Living Dead were telling it, she would say, and Peter, Peter, he he fought this man. That's <laughs> how she would say it. Yeah. And he ripped at me and he pulled at me. Johnny has the keys. <laughs> Thank you. That's my Barbara. I'll be here all week. Um, but anyway, of unknown origin, amazing. One of my favorite it is a creature feature. I call it a creature feature because sure. it is kind of a monster movie, but it's just a rat. But the I mean, thing kind of like Willard goes through. Yeah, it is kind of like Willard, sort of, except there's no like relationship between the guy and the rat. It's just they're he's trying to defend his home, and this rat is just destroying everything, and it's sure. amazing. Yeah. Um. Also, um. Uh, like we said, he directed First Blood Two, which you know, not mm-hmm. my favorite Rambo Rambo film. Absolutely not my favorite, but also um, the star of this film. I have a very rich history with, as I was touching on before. Um, right. And and I think that's one of the reasons that this movie is more disappointing to me than it probably would be for most people is because I have unrealistic expectations for Sylvester Stallone. And by unrealistic, I don't mean I don't I expect things from him that he can't do. Mm hmm. Because I know he can do them. I've seen him do them. Right. I expect things from him that he's not willing to choose. Like, that's my thing with Stallone is, like, he's he's one of the best to do it. Like, writing, directing, acting, all of it. Mm-hmm. He's one of the best. He just, he stays in his lane too much. Like, he knows his audience, and I wish he didn't. Like, because the the movies where he steps out of his comfort zone and does something different, are just fucking amazing. Those are the best performances you'll see from him. Stuff like like Fist, as I mentioned before. Right. Like you're gonna want subtitles when he he gets excited. But other than that, which is kind like, of par for the course for Sly. Let's be honest. Amazing. Love that man. Like seriously, like a big influence on me as an artist. Just like some of the stuff that he's done, how he's pulled it off. You know, like big inspiration. Love me some Stallone. And I think that's why for this movie, he's just. It's like it's like when you see Vince Vaughn in a Vince Vaughn movie. And then you see him in True Detective season two. It's like that. Okay, I've seen I've seen good Stallone and Stallone's not bad in this movie. He's just kind of he's just strolling through it he's strolling through this movie this is easy for him and it's good but it's easy it's too safe for me as far as like being a stallone fan the way that i am this is too safe for me i mean this is this is stallone at kind of the height of his stardom this is rocky for stallone because as you know the rocky movies reflect what's going on in stallone's life when they were made Right. This is Rocky forced alone when he thought his shit did not stay. Literally, this is his immediate follow up to Rocky Four. Yep. It's so he's 
let me let me walk you through Stallone's 80s. So his big break, obviously, 76, Rocky. Like the yes. height of height of his power is top of the world. He waits two years. He does fist and his uh, yes. his and Paradise Alley, which I think is might also be the really first rad. movie that he directed, if I'm not mistaken. I want to say that's right. I know he directed Rocky, too. Well, then that comes out the following year. That's 79 Rocky Two. you get Nighthawks uh, in 1981. Huh? Uh, which is he did not direct, but he's he's in the movie Nighthawks in 81. Um, and then also in 81, Victory, uh, where he plays, I think, a soccer player opposite Michael Caine. Michael yep. Caine's in that movie, too. So, yeah, the stars of the stars of Get Carter. Together it's a swing again. and a miss, but an admirable swing is what I'll say right. about that movie. Uh, then in 82, you get Rocky three and First Blood. Big year for Sly. And then in uh 83 literally this is the number one movie the week i was born Mm -hmm. his directorial debut or uh, no i'm sorry not his debut but another film that he directed staying alive staying alive i think the first film he directed that he's not in maybe the only one that he's directed that he's not in uh and then the year after that it's rhinestone and then he does mm mm-hmm then he does like in 85 people can suck my butt i like that movie in 85 <laughs> it's first blood part two and rocky uh, four yes so like this is where like you've got the great year of rocky three first blood 82 and then this just ramps up all of those and so like rambo takes what first blood does and just ramps it up to 11 like rocky shit's four, all over it yeah the whole tone and point of the fucking movie. They just shit all over it. But like, that's the, that's the of making him a damaged man of a realistic Vietnam vet. They turn him into a fucking invincible superhero and it's disgraceful and it sucks. And I, you're right. But also when you think of Rambo, you think of first blood awesome. part two. Yeah, I will. I will concede two and three are amazing fucking action movies. Uh, awesome. Like the pinnacle of eighties action movies. They just don't sit well with me because First Blood exists. If right. the Rambo character started with First Blood 2, that would be fine. But everything they set up in the first one is so grounded and so emotional and so real mm-hmm. and so painful. Well, There's so much ends, pain in that fucking movie. The novel ends and the movie was supposed to end with I've him. That. You can see the deleted ending. With him committing himself. suicide. Yeah. Right. Which is uh, how it like, should have ended. But we can't make a sequel of that. So... <laughs> that's that's literally what they said and that's why we have what we have now yeah tucker yeah do you know and i want to i want to confirm that this is actually correct okay. but do you know what the highest grossing film of 1984 is 84 and i promise this is all going to make sense I don't know. Uh, I believe, and again, I'm going to double check my math on this mm-hmm. to make sure that I am not just talking out of my ass. Cause I do that sometimes. It I happens. Yeah. I will do that. Um, but I believe the highest grossing film of that year, or maybe it's the number two. I don't know. We'll see. Um, what is it? Get on with it, Steven. Fuck me. Um, it is, I believe it is a little movie called Beverly Hills Cop. 
Yeah. Uh, I believe uh, the alternate title was Doot, 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 Ellipses. Absolutely. Um, Good old Axel Foley and Judge Reinhold sticking bananas in tailpipes. Axel Foley, Judge Reinhold. Uh, you yeah, gotta dude. love it. Um, and uh, fucking Bronson yes. Pinchett from Perfect Bronson Strangers. Pinchot. Hell yeah. Yeah, dude. Yeah, Beverly Hills Cop, the number one highest grossing Fucking movie of 1984. Now, do you know who was originally supposed to star was in it Beverly Sylvester Hills Cop? Stallone? It was Sylvester Stallone. He was supposed to star in it, but he had some thoughts on the script. And so he, he took did. a pass at it, as he does. And basically what happens is... Um, he infuses it with all these action movie ideas and it becomes too unwieldy in the studio is like, we can't afford this. And yeah. so Stallone says, all right, I'm out. Peace. They recast, they come, they go a complete 180, and they cast like the polar opposite. They cast Eddie Murphy. The sucky thing about it, the really fucking shitty thing about it is, is they don't recast the love interest character, but they don't make her the love interest anymore because Eddie Murphy is black. And you can't have a oh. white woman and a black man together on screen. It's fucked. Ooh, except it's that one real fuck. Except that one movie with Sidney Poitier and uh, Elizabeth oh yeah, Taylor. yeah. What was that called? Uh, where she's blind. Have you seen that? You seen that, right? No. What the fuck I've is that called? That. Yo, it's on Turner Classic Movies, man. It's on HBO Max. Watch it right now. It's called. I hate that we're getting soft subject, but you have to see this movie. I mean, you, it is I, look, called... Tucker, this is what happens when you and I do a podcast together. We get off topic. Yeah, Brett's not here to rein us in. Yeah, it's this is really, this is Brett's a fault. Patch of Blue. It's called A Patch okay. of Blue. Never seen it. And it stars Sidney Poitier and, I'm sorry, Shelley Winters. How do I get okay. those two mixed up? That's so, a great uh, question. Because Elizabeth Hartman is the, that's what, yeah, okay, I get it. Okay. Anyway, um, Shelley Winters is a blind woman, and she meets Sidney Poitier in a park, and um, she's, like, escaping this horribly abusive home life of these people that abuse her, parents abuse her, mm. and just use her because she's blind and she can't, like, do anything. Mm-hmm. And so she runs away and she meets Sidney Poitier and like he takes her in and they like fall in love and shit. And it's really cute. And they straight up kiss, dude. And this is in 1965. 65, bruh. And so let like 20 years later, we can't have Eddie Murphy being romantically involved with a white woman. Uh, also, before we move on, Patch of Blue. Watch Patch of Blue. It's on Max. Turner, go on the Turner Classic Movies thing. Watch Patch Blue. It's so good. And honestly, any Sidney Poitier that I can get now is great because I can't watch the movies, the wonderful fucking movies he did with Bill Cosby anymore. Like, let's do it again. Oh, my mm. God. Such a good fucking movie. All those movies he did with Bill Cosby are just amazing. But fuck Bill Cosby. I, I can't. Like, if it if I didn't have such a history with him, then I could probably still be like, it's like Kevin Spacey. I'm like, yeah, that guy's an asshole, but this movie's the shit. Mm-hmm. Like Bill Cosby, Bill Cosby was my dad, man, my other dad growing up. It was Bill Cosby was my slightly darker complected father, <laughs> and like I just felt so betrayed when that shit came. I can only imagine how his victims felt. But I'm saying, like, right, I'm so I was so invested in Cosby. I owned so many of his comedy albums on vinyl. So funny. Have All you the seen movies we he did with talk Sidney about Poitier. Cosby? No, I don't want to, man. I don't want to because I don't want to talk about Cosby, man. 
You need to. I want to. No, it's a wound, man. It's an open wound. No, I'm still you mad, definitely. I still feel betrayed. The whole thing is reckoning with exactly what you're talking about, and you need to Can't watch it. With you, man. And it's Can't. W. Kamal Bell, and Kamal Bell is amazing. I you, know you need you to told watch me it. about it. You need I'll to watch, watch that it. if you watch a patch. If you watch a patch of blue, I'll watch the Cosby documentary. Okay. Deal. The reason I brought up all the shit about Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> Yeah, there was a point to all of that. We were getting somewhere. We, yeah. I was trying to. <laughs> and then you had to go on this whole Sidney Poitier tirade. Oh, Sidney Poitier. Oh, man. Look, I get it, but he this, has nothing to do with Cobra. Look, one more thing. His daughter <gasps> cannot <gasps> act her way out of a paper fucking bag. Sidney Poitier, the gal, his daughter. Ooh, she's bad, man. She's the worst part of Death Proof. She's like... If Quentin Tarantino wrote a character that was supposed to be him, but then he actually played it. Like, she's that fucking annoying. Ooh, I can't stand her in that movie. And everything else I've seen her in, like, the the apple fell way far from the fucking tree on that. I'm sure she's lovely. I don't mean any disrespect, Miss Poitier. Um, I know it sounds like I'm going real hard, but I'm sure you're a lovely person. I know you're a frequent listener of the podcast and probably a patron, so... I apologize. I just think your acting in Death Proof is just really annoying. I fucking hate it. It's almost a deal breaker. If the rest of that movie weren't so damn good. And sorry, speaking please, of please, that, please go ahead. Yes. I please, really so don't sorry. know why you had to fucking say any of that. That has nothing to do with any fucking thing. That's just you it being bitter. It's something. It's been something that's been on my chest for a long time, and I. That's have just not you being a little bitch. Any, is what that is. Any kind of opportunity to speak out about how much I cannot stand her in that movie. We're <laughs> gonna so cover sorry. Death Proof one of these days, man. We're gonna cover uh, Grindhouse. I won't, I won't say I won't. I won't cover Death Proof unless it's Grindhouse together as a mm. as a thing. Yeah. It's going to happen. And you know me, I'm a purist. You're something. You're <laughs> pain in my purist is what you are. Yay! Anyway, anyway the studio yes, basically says, Stallone, no, this is too expensive. We can't make this movie. So he takes all these ideas and takes them over to Canon and folds them into this script. So this is, if you want to know what Sylvester Stallone's Beverly Hills Cop would have looked like, it probably would have looked a lot like this movie, Um, which the fact that this, I mean, this, that I'm mentioning those two in the same breath is fucking weird as shit. Like it, these, the movies have nothing in common. Again, Eddie Murphy came into Beverly Hills Cop and made that his own and then did two sequels. Whereas this is what Stallone does. And this is, again, this is Stallone at the top of his, at the top of his game. This is Rocky four and Rambo three, like the year before. And his next movie is over the one top. of his best, one over of the his top. best, a movie. I know you, right I up. know you love mm. over the top. Like I, the, yeah. meet me halfway. <laughs> across the sky i just love whenever he he turns that hat around and the engines just start revving dude you gotta take it over the top man that's how you beat pinball kid too uh i'm sorry rambo 2 i said rambo 3 earlier it's rambo 2 and then after that you get rambo 3 you get lock up and then you get tango and cash and then we're on the stallone downslope it's Rocky Five. It's Oscar. It's Stopper. My mom will shoot. 
future episodes of this podcast, Cliffhanger and Demolition Man. Ooh, I like both of those movies. Uh, I mean, no, you do. Uh, and then future, uh, he does a movie called The Specialist, and then another future episode of this podcast, it's Judge good. Dread. So there's which I've is literally, not good, mm-mm. but I like it. I've literally just mentioned four Stallone movies that we will cover on this podcast one day. Should we do a Stallone theme month? Ooh, can Maybe. we? Yes, yes. And but but can we also can we? But can we do Assassins too with him and 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 Antonio Banderas? Was that supposed to have a sequel? No, it, it's the next Probably. one on his. It's the next one on his list, man. Oh, it's so good. Uh, so after Judge Dredd, he does Assassins, then Daylight, then the movie that you just will not shut up about. Oh, I've, uh, I've tried, but Copland, uh, Cop Motherfucking Land, and it's one of those few films like payback with mel gibson where the studio maybe was right because the theatrical (laughs) cut is a lot better than the director's cut Mm. a lot better and now in the in the in the um speaking of on copland um there's not a lot of just the ending is different and it's not really that different but the theatrical ending i think is way way better fits the tone of the film a lot better Okay. Um, so yeah, see Copland. Don't. But I mean, after you've seen and enjoyed the theatrical cut, check out the director's cut because there's some stuff there that's not in the theatrical cut that's really cool and adds to the story. But overall, theatrical cut is where it's at. Fair enough. Uh, but uh, so I mean, and then after that, it's Ants, Get Carter, Driven, ICU, which you I mentioned like earlier. Too. Yeah. Uh, Avenging Angelo. Um, Shade, which is, I think, a poker movie. Spy Kids 3. Like, it just... And then then we get to 2006, and we get the resurgence. It's it's Rocky Balboa. The second best Rocky film. Actually, it's kind of tied with the first one for me. It's uh, Rocky Balboa. better. And then a couple years later, he does Rambo. Mm-hmm. That's um, good. And and then a couple years after that, he does Expendables, and he's back, baby. Um, he he does you know the occasional bizarre thing like uh, he's the voice of Joe the Lion and Zookeeper, um, Expendable Two, Bullet to the Head, Escape Plan, Grudge Match, that movie where he and Robert De Niro are boxing. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And that's the closest we'll ever get to seeing Rocky take on Jake LaMotta. Um, which you know Raging some, bull, right like, right yeah <laughs> yeah which is That's in my great. mind one of the all-time greatest films i mean you know we, oh, we love there for sure we, we love uncle marty you and i i don't think brett loves uncle yes. marty half as much as you and i do i think we, brett's we pretty indifferent love. he recognizes he, I, I think, think he, he hates martin scorsese because martin scorsese doesn't like the mco that's well you know i i'd like to talk to marty about that because i think he's being he's going a bit too far with it but we all have our own I, opinions, and Uncle Marty is completely, it, you know what? He's different time. Like, of course, he's going to have different opinions. Uh, but I love Uncle Marty. But yeah, so this is Stallone at the height of his power. And from what I understand, he's kind of a nightmare on the set of this movie. Um, oh, like, the supporting cast is not allowed to talk to him on set. What? But that lady was his wife. Well, Brigitte Nielsen, like, the supporting <laughs> cast. <laughs> okay, I was going to say, what the fuck? Like Art LaFleur is not hanging out with Sly Stallone in between takes, okay? Oh, that's too bad. As much as you and I both love Art LaFleur, as everyone should, Art LaFleur is a fucking legend. 
Um, were they married? Uh, they met on Rocky Four, right? Or were they married before Rocky Four? So Even yeah, let's get in. So yes, Rocky or Rocky, fuck, Stallone and Brigitte Nielsen were, I believe, married for a while. Yes, and they you know were what? I don't blame him because she is just a tall, beautiful broad. I'll tell she you what, is man, she absolutely a, she's gorgeous, the be- uh, big old beautiful hunk of woman right there. Mm-hmm. So they married in 1985. So it may have actually six been. One. She's six one. She's she's she is an Amazon. Is what she broad. is. Yeah. Um, like so she, uh, we, we actually covered Brigitte Nielsen on this podcast previously in our red Sonia episode. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, apparently they had an affair on the set of that movie. That's a thing that I learned. Yeah, her and Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, they became engaged on the set or, uh, during, during Rocky four. And then they married in December of 85. So they're married at the time this movie comes out. Yo, uh, they, she still came back for Creed 2 as well. She mm, reprised her role from Rocky Four in Creed 2. Nice. And they, yeah. they divorced in 87. So their marriage was very, very short-lived. Um, but They remained friends. They did. They, they've, they've remained close. Um, but yeah, no. Brigitte Nielsen, fucking amazing. Um, but they're married on the set of this movie at one point. Uh, again, this is according to IMDb trivia. So take it with a grain of salt. Apparently Stallone comes up to the, uh, the DP and is like, you know, we're, we're, we're over budget. We're, you, you've got to like, you know, knock this out. You've got to you know, have your team speed up and all this stuff. And um, the cinematographer uh, is Rick Waite is the cinematographer looks at him and goes, uh, well, maybe if you get your hands off Brigitte Nielsen's ass and stop showing off for your bodyguards, we wouldn't have any time problems. And Stallone's, Stallone's just like kind of shocked that anyone would talk to him that way. But he does like he like chills out a little bit and like remains checked. And um, yeah, it was it was kind of one of those things where the, this he's, later he comes in and is like, no, he has a good sense of humor. You know, he's got a huge ego, but yeah, he's also you know, he's, he's, he's a funny guy and he's got a good sense of humor about himself. Even if he does, even if he is egomaniacal, he's got a good sense of of humor about himself. And he's the one that he's the one that basically says, now Stallone directed this movie. Cosmatos didn't really have much to do with this. Stallone directed this movie. Which, why, why didn't they just have Stallone direct it? I mean, he's proven himself as a director. At that point he had over and over like it. And I, I don't know if Canon could have afforded to have him write direct um, and star. Um, it probably like a, a two out of three situation um, because Canon well, you should get a discount if you're, if you're, you know, like a, a bulk discount. <laughs> well, like, like Corman and, uh, and Kaufman um, Golan and Globus are like, they are making these movies as cheaply as humanly possible. So and that budget doesn't move. Once that budget is set, mm-hmm. the fucker does not move. And so that, that becomes then. So I'm guessing that probably has something to do with that or they have a, a, a deal or something with Cosmatos um, who had again, directed his big hit from the previous year. First blood part two. Um, so like, that's kind of where where he's at so you know he comes with stallone on that and this is probably the last time, i think it was well, the last time they worked together well so, and maybe maybe that's the kind of relationship they had i mean you get actor director relationships like that where the director 
is really only there so the actor doesn't have to direct it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, right. Like, I can imagine in this situation, like with First Blood Part Two, and probably in this movie, uh, the director was probably just a vehicle for Stallone mm-hmm. because he probably didn't want to have to do all of that, but it was still probably basically his his show. Like any I've, Edward Norton movie that <laughs> is ever, you know? Right. Um, or, I mean, I've listened to the Blank Check uh, podcast miniseries they did earlier this year on the films of Buster Keaton, and that was essentially how Keaton worked. Like, they would yeah. keep giving him directors, and he would fire them after a week, do it all himself, and they'd still get credit on the picture. Like, it was just kind of how well, it worked and, out. And in a situation like this with Stallone and the director of this film, um, as long as it's amicable, it doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. doesn't bother me at all as long as everybody knows what's going on and everybody's cool with it and everybody's getting paid fuck it make that movie i mean and that's make why that you get like the 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 poltergeist conversation of like did hooper really direct that or was that spielberg and like by all accounts they were both on set and spielberg was probably a lot more hands-on as a producer um and i'm sure he and hooper collaborated a lot like to hear spielberg telling himself they had a very special, very collaborative relationship and Hooper wasn't precious about it and would kind of like let him have sway. Like you're the, you're the boss. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. That's fine. So, and it's, I think it's kind of, it can be a, a situation very much like that. And it can be, it can be a positive thing. Like I think when you initially uh, bring up something like that, it seems like a negative, you know, like, Oh, Stallone was directing this from, you know, in front of the camera and this guy was just a puppet or whatever. But no, man, I mean, People have relationships like that, actors mm-hmm. and directors, and it's just like it's just like TV directors. When you come on to a TV show to direct, you're basically just babysitting. Really? Because yeah. this crew has been working together forever. They don't need a director. They just need somebody to stand there and make sure everything goes okay. You got to make sure the camera's pointing in the right direction. You got to know when yeah. to say cut and action and yeah. Because this is not like this is not a very special episode directed by Right. Like the episodes of like CSI or whatever that Quentin Tarantino directed, like he had some input into them. But like, if you didn't know he directed them, you probably wouldn't fucking know he directed them. Right. Like Kevin Smith has said many times about directing stuff on like the CW Arrowverse stuff. He basically just goes in and makes sure everything runs smoothly mm-hmm. because they've got a rhythm. Like they know what they're doing. And you and don't want to disrupt be, that. You don't want to throw that off. That can be a good thing. And I think that in a relationship like, between actors and directors, sometimes that can be a positive thing as well. And I, we're just kind of speculating. We don't know if it was a good experience yeah, or a bad experience, honestly. Could have been awful. I'm Could've just been. giving the benefit of the doubt. It's like sure. I tend to do. Sure. Um, but yeah, we, I mean, we ultimately don't know. Uh, I don't think, like I said, I don't think they worked together again after this. So uh, so there's that. Yeah. That that may have been Your an boy indication. Made tombstone. Uh, I mean, true. He made Leviathan in 89, Tombstone, and he took three movies after this. Leviathan, Tombstone, and Shadow Conspiracy. I haven't really heard that last one. Nor have I. And then he passed away in 2005. Stephen Lang. Well, that's a stacked cast, though. Damn, maybe I should watch this movie. There you go. Terry O'Quinn in this bitch. Sam Watterson. Are you fucking kidding me? Gore Vidal. Holy fuck. Holy shit. A uh, shadow conspiracy. We're putting it on the list, boys. There we there it goes, motherfucker. There we go. Linda um, Hamilton. Golly, Duke. Wild, fucking wild. But yeah, so I mean, so Cobra is it is. 
it reminds me of a trashy, trashy, like in terms of the visuals and especially in the early scenes, like a trashy to live and die in LA. It's like a really trashy, really cheap to live and die in LA, which is a movie I adore to be clear. I love to live and die in LA. It's a beautiful movie. Billy Friedkin live forever. I know you passed away. RIP King. Uh, to me, it reminded me of like a mid-career Larry Cohen film, but unironically. Mm. I don't know if you've seen a lot of the mid-career stuff like Cue the Winged Serpent or God Told Me To or the stuff. No, all of those like, movies that we can cover. I don't know if God those, Told Me To is, but the it was rest like of those, those movies, sequels. but they didn't have a tongue in their cheek. Right. And that's kind of part of what makes those movies work. And that's why for me, this didn't really work for me. And and to the point that I think it's beneath Stallone, honestly, as well. That's why, like, I feel like I had unrealistic expectations for this film. So the fact probably. that I don't like this movie is probably fucking my own fault. Yeah. I expect too much. I And I know that Sylvester Stallone doesn't always make the kind of decisions that I would like for him to as far as taking roles or signing on to movies. But I, I tend to just remember all the really rad shit that he's done. So whenever mm-hmm. I see something that he's in where it just does not work for me, it's just that much more disappointing. Sure. And I, look, I just love the fuck out of that dude. And I get that. I absolutely get that. And, and I, I guess for me, I don't have that level of expectation for Stallone. Right. Like I, I came up when he was like in the nineties. That's when I kind of started to know who Stallone was. So at that point, like he's in like a, a career nadir, like judge dread, like that era, demolition man, that era is the era. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And those movies did not perform well um, at all. So like, that's the Stallone that I know uh, that's the Stallone of my, so I don't have, and I didn't go back and watch the Rocky. I still have not seen every movie in the Rocky franchise. I've seen pieces of all of them, but I don't think I've seen every film in its entirety. Um, and so that's a franchise I need to go back through and, and, and watch at some point. And I will, I'm sure one of these days, um, gonna have it's, to at some point, right? It's an interesting watch because it really does reflect Stallone's career. Each film yeah. really reflects what he's going through in his career and his personal life at the time and though they're not all great films i would say the first one the second one and the sixth one are great films the ones in between are so much fun it doesn't fucking matter like three three and four are the ones i think i've probably seen most of like four i think was the first one i ever saw um but you know three is the one with mr t like how can you how can you fucking not like that come on hey woman hey woman (laughs) I love that scene. He gets so bad because he's like catcalling his wife and stuff, and he's standing right there and they're in public. And he's like, Hey, woman, hey, woman, why don't you come over to my house? See what a real man love like. No, you know, you know the story of the premiere of that movie, right? No, please tell me. Mr. T brings his mom to the premiere of that movie. Oh, and he's such a sweet man. That scene, yeah. she gets up and leaves the theater. No, Mrs. T. And so he follows her out and she's like, I didn't teach you to talk that way. Like, I didn't teach you to do to talk to women like that. And like, you're just like, 
but it's a Most movie. But like, right? You're just like, oh, I love them. But so, so I, I, so for me, and I'm looking at the action of it, and in terms of the action, this movie with its chases and the like, the fun. It reminded me a lot of John Woo's Hard Target. I was getting a lot of Hard Target vibes off of this. Um, which have you seen Hard Target? Uh, no, but I'm familiar with John Woo. Oh, I have not seen Hard. That is his first American film. Uh-huh. It's Jean-Claude Van Damme in a John Woo film about this like drifter who comes into this town and it's 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 like 93, I think, but it's like it, it could be this. There is a there's a, a, a there's a car chase scene. And at one point he gets on a motorcycle and turns it around and stands up on it and drives back toward the truck while I think firing a gun. Yes. It's amazing. It's Wilford Brimley with a with a bow and arrow on a horse like you need to see hard target. You need well, I've to. I've got to now. You you now fucking have. It's got like it's John Woo, it's John Claude Van Damme, it's Wilfred Brimley. It fucking rips. Um, it's very good, but it like ends in a warehouse, kind of like this one. Uh, like you know, not really a warehouse, but you know, like a factory. It so the endings are kind of the same. It's got those chases, small town feel. Like it's it's all there. Like it's and and again, I know this movie is supposed to take place in the city. But half the movie they're in like these small towns or on the outskirts of town. Like this, this movie feels like it takes place in the suburbs and the rural areas more than it does the urban areas. And I think that's a budget thing. But I also kind of I kind of love it for that, too, at the same time. I really something I did really like about this film was I did like <clears throat> uh, despite the overacting um, of the, the shooter, the guy who comes into the grocery store with the shotgun. Oh Despite yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I really enjoyed the beginning because not only did it really, really take me back to the actual eighties. Mm-hmm. I remember when supermarkets used to look like that, and I mm-hmm. remember when all the cars looked like that. I remember mm-hmm. when people dressed like that. And I remember how uh, it wasn't as colorful in the eighties; more of a sepia tone. Yeah, our eyes hadn't fully adjusted to color yet in the eighties. <laughs> um, <laughs> look, we had it better but, than our grandparents. That's all we'll say. So I liked that, but I also liked that first scene in the grocery store, the way it was shot reminded me a lot of Dog Day Afternoon. Mm. Mm. And I really fucking love Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah, it's a great movie. That was one of the first movie. like 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 real movies mm-hmm. that I got into. Like I got into horror and then like I worked at a video store and my friend was like, You should watch this motherfucker. And I was like, It's not horror though. And I watched it and I was like, wow, there are things that aren't horror. This is amazing. Sydney Lamatt, man. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. And that is one of the one of like the five movies that John Cazale did before he passed away, mm-hmm. tragically. Yeah. That man, like every Great. movie that he was in was nominated for Best Picture. Is that I think that's right. As it should be, yeah. A like because it's Godfather, it's Dog Day Afternoon, it's the Deer Hunter, it's Godfather Part Two, and the Conversation. That's his five. That's all you need sometimes, I guess. Three Coppola masterpieces, a Lumet and a Chimino. Yeah. Cut the check. Like that's a good career. That's, that's you know, you per- go out on top. You really do. I mean, it's, it's such a fucking tragedy that he died, but absolutely. The but body of work he left behind than it is, is to fade in, away. Insane. And like he's the guy that like Al Pacino 
said was the best actor he'd ever known. Like he was, he was fucking Meryl Streep, man. Like, you know what else he said? You know what else he said about him? What's that? I heard that he said that, uh, he's got a great ass. (laughs) No, what he, what he really said was, I know it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart. (laughs) Well, um, Oh, God, Pacino. I feel like scent of a woman broke Pacino. Probably. Because Heat, what he's doing in Heat makes sense. He's playing like a guy who's clearly doing coke. Um, So much. It's like he's he's got an IV of coke, I'm pretty sure. You never see him actually do it in the movie, but Pacino's like, this guy does coke. And not only does this guy do coke, this guy does all of the coke. Every coke ever. (laughs) All of the time. Every coke everywhere all at once. Oh, and then but then he does like that same fucking thing in Scent of a Woman where it doesn't make any sense. And you're like, and then he wins the Oscar for that one. And uh, I guess he's just like, well, I guess this is just what you do now. (laughs) That's what he does now. Uh, So maybe Heat's the movie that broke Pacino. I don't know. Anyway, Heat fucking rules. Uh, But you know what else kind of is awesome? Uh, Cobra. I guess. Should we do the plot or something? I kind of dug. We I don't know. We're about an hour into this thing. We probably should. Yeah. So this is the part of the this is a part of the show called the plot in sixty seconds. This is the part where we, at the behest of the Canadian Quarter of Indifference, uh, will decide which of us uh, will be recounting the plot of 1986's Cobra in sixty seconds or less. Uh, Tucker, give her a flip. Okay, uh, call in the air, Stephen. One, two, three, go. Tails. Oh, shit, I dropped it. I got flipped again. Here we go. Are you going to keep it the same or are you going to call it again? I'll call it again. Okay, one, two, three, go. Heads. It is tails, sir. Son of a bitch. I am in no mood. You can do all it. Right. It's really simple. It's I, really simple. It it really is. So, all right, give me the so go ahead and put 60 seconds on the clock. You're going to give me the 30 and the 10 second warnings. Unlike last week. Really we don't have any late check-ins tonight, so I yeah. won't see anyone pass by my window. All right. I did put the the 5 minutes later oh, in did the you? From last week. Yeah. Nice. I included all that stuff cuz it was just too too golden. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I figured you probably would. Yeah. Uh, so right. whenever you start talking, I'll hit the button. Uh, so a guy uh, walks into a um, grocery store, starts shooting up the place. And who do you call? You call the Cobra. Sylvester Stallone with all black and sunglasses and shit. And he's part of the zombie squad, which means he does whatever it takes to fuck anyone up. Uh, and so he does. And then there is a, a model who's uh, a witness to the Night Slasher, who's the serial killer. There's actually a gang of people who just like smash axes together in crowded rooms. I don't know. It's fucking weird. Anyway. Um, 30 seconds. Yeah. that. Mm. So uh, she, uh, Brigitte Nielsen, sees uh, them committing their crimes. And so 
Uh, the killers come after her. So Stallone and his partner, Poppy from Seinfeld, uh, have to protect her. There's a big ass shootout. They like go into the country. It turns out one of the detectives is working with the cult. Uh, it's a, basically they go into a, a factory Insect. and the Night Stalker gets skewered on a giant hook and then lit on fire. And Stallone kills like 40 people in this fucking And movie. that's time. Like, they really wanted to get her. Like, at a certain point, you just give up. But no, they just, like, all resources went. Mm-hmm. All available resources. All, calling all cars, mm-hmm. kill this bitch. Yeah. As soon as you're done, you got to mash your axe together a certain amount of times first. And then as soon as you're done with that, you go after right. that bitch. Yeah, that was fucking bizarre. I should have said at the beginning, uh, our Brett Wright just- is standing in a crowded room full of people banging axes together. Um I should have said that at the top. I didn't. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, it, I don't know, man. It, there's something about it that's, it's, it's ominous. It makes no fucking sense, but it's pretty ominous. Apparently, they're a Darwinist cult. Well, and you can get away with shit like that and stuff like the Warriors, where it's kind of, kind of self aware and it's kind of being a little bit silly while I staying grounded, Warriors. you know? Mm-hmm. But like in this movie, I don't know. It's supposed to be, I feel like this movie presents itself as more grounded. In a movie that spends a good percentage of its runtime showing people just mindlessly smacking axes together for no fucking reason that we can discern. In fairness, they spend less time on axe beating uh, than they do on Stallone fucking just straight up murdering dudes. Oh yeah, he kills the fuck out of some people. Like the I again, IMDb to grain of salt. Of the 52 kills in this movie, Stallone's character killed 41 of them. Well, I mean, he's... Look, Steven. <laughs> Stallone in this movie, Marion himself... Is... Marion Cobra Cobretti. Yes. What a, what a is... dumbass name. He's just Dirty Harry. Mm-hmm. If Dirty Harry had a fucking ego, yeah. that's all he is. Dirty Harry is this middle-aged dude in a suit that just happens to be a fucking badass. I don't know if Cobra we... is a badass and he knows it. And so he yeah. he buys the sunglasses. He's like, ooh, these will look cool. And he buys mm-hmm. the sunglasses. Like, you know what would be cool? It's like if I put a matchstick in my mouth and just had it in my mouth all the time. And then eventually, I'll bet in my line of work, eventually, I will have a chance to set someone on fire with that fucking matchstick. Boy, that'll be a great payoff. Ooh, you know what looks good? This sleeveless shirt. Mm-mm. Do you think this gun matches my jeans? Oh, that looks nice. I'm gonna get some He's gloves dirty, and cut the fingers that. out of him. Yes, like, it's. I don't know if we got this on the recording or not, but I this this movie is Death Wish meets Dirty Harry dialed up to eleven. Yeah, like that's what this movie is. Um, and it it sucks and rules for that reason. Um, like in equal measure, like the politics of this thing are no, um, like not at all. Um, like this, this, this guy is an unapologetic Vic Mackey from the shield. Um, like that's, that's pretty much what this guy does, except not necessarily with drug dealers. Oh my God. He even basically word for word repeats dirty Harry dialogue. Yeah. Like at the end when the when the reporter's asking him all the stupid questions and he like he's like, What about what about the rights of this guy? And you got Dirty Harry be like, What about the rights of that little girl? 
<laughs> it's like, like come on man like it's the same thing they're saying the exact same thing like these Tell movies that to his are just family like, yeah these these movies are like a bloodthirsty pro-gun conservatives wet fucking dream dude mm-hmm. kill them all doesn't matter what they did no context no nuance fuck them kill them they're criminals fuck them they're dead that's this movie and that's dirty harry too well, and then so it's interesting, like this is so we're we're nearing the end of the 80s, which is sort of the end of the Schwarzenegger and uh, Stallone, like and Jean-Claude Van Damme brand of action hero. Like we're getting like Chuck Norris has started to make a couple movies. And then in a couple more years after this, you get Die Hard, which completely shifts the game because Willis is a. TV sitcom guy. He's not an action guy. And all of a sudden you're putting Moonlighting. This... Do ducks duck? Moonlighting. Do flies fly? Like, I love that fucking show. Until they fucked. And then I didn't like the show. Like that, completely lost me after you that. You and everybody else. That was the whole point of watching. <laughs> Come on, man. And every I show that, that has show, a, a will they won't they that builds up over time, ratings always dip after they do. That's it's just what happens. If you haven't seen the first three seasons of Moonlighting, I definitely recommend it. It is quality entertainment. It's one of those things I don't think I've even really engaged that much with since it was on the air. Um, it kind of makes me sad that Bruce Willis, I'm glad that he had an action career, but I wish he would have done more comedy because mm-hmm. he is so funny in that show. His timing is perfect. And he's so fucking charming. Uh, I just, I wish he had done that and more stuff. And he tried to stuff like Hudson Hawk, you know, mm-hmm. But it never went over well. And that's future episode of this podcast, like Hudson Hawk. Fan Same. right here. Same. Love that movie. I do too. Uh I'm I'm a I'm a Hudson Hawk apologist. I will apologize for that movie all day long. Um But the shit, what was I gonna say? No, here's the thing about Bruce Willis, and I will just real quick, I will just say this. Um, he's a really good actor. Uh, and the late career stuff, once we knew what we knew was going on with him health wise, a lot of those things that we kind of mocked him for in that era start to make sense. Like the man is sick and has is 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 having some issues and is not able to perform to his full ability. All that having been said. He's a really good actor and he I don't think America wanted to accept him out after after. Um, die Hard. I don't think we wanted to accept anything else from him at that point. Yeah, but John McClane is funny too. Like I, the no. first three Die well, Hards. The first that's... in the first three Die Hards, he's very funny. Yes. Yeah, he's so I don't understand why that like he got typecast just on that one part of that role because he proved it in Moonlighting. John McClane in the first three Die Hards is fucking hilarious. He's got the same kind of charm he did in Moonlight. Moonlighting. Absolutely. He's just a badass. He's the same guy. Well, and I just think a badass. It, I think there's a it's for Bruce Willis, it's a two-prong thing. It's it's getting older, but it's also it's the Stallone thing. It's the ego, right? Yeah. Like the ego kind of gets in and becomes it's kind of its own poison. Um so all of that, right? Um, I think the big switch, or at least the thing that but that happens between this movie and Die Hard that really sort of ushers in a new era with Die Hard in 1987 Lethal Weapon and you get yeah. Mel Gibson as Martin Riggs and again it takes this kind of a character and humanizes him 
so much, like distills all of the emotions that a character like that should be feeling and pulls them up to the surface. And again, it's the brilliance of Shane Black. And also Mel Gibson fucking nails that role too. Like fuck Mel Gibson, but he fucking nails it. Look, nobody could have done that. Like he did. Here's the thing about Mel Gibson piece of shit. Human being pretty good actor and director. Amazing ransom. Jesus. Louises. Yeah. You've talked about ransom before. I'm golly. That move. Get chills. Just thinking about that move. Nipples (laughs) got hard there for a second. (laughs) Steven. Woo. Oh, there go my nipples again. Ransom, ransom, ransom. (laughs) Ransom, ransom, ransom. Speaking of Eddie Murphy. Um, But so, so again, there's this shift kind of happening in what it means to be an action star. And this feels like Stallone's last, like, chest beating punch um, in this genre. Like, this feels like in the same way that the last action hero feels like the culmination of everything Arnold had done up to that point. This feels like that for Stallone. Like this feels like him, like the thing, the culmination of this era of his career. And I think in a very real way, Rocky four will be, or no, cause this comes up right after Rocky four. So yeah, no stands. I stand by my comment. So yeah, so this, again, this feels very much like a culmination of everything he's done. And then shortly after this, we start his downward slope. And so this is well, in, in a lot of ways, over a the turning top, point Steven, what do you do? You just exactly go over the top and then you, you, right down you, the you, other end of that mountain, you, you peak and then you, you fall. That's just such an yeah. appropriately named film. Mm. I'm telling you, man, sometimes this man's career and his life are just so synergetic that it's fucking ridiculous. Complete insanity. All coincidence, mm-hmm. but just, wow. Yeah. It's really, really interesting and fascinating. Yeah. So, yeah. there. You, I mean, there it is. Yeah. Like, there. so, yeah. I mean, this, so, so there's, there's a shift of a lot of things happening here. There's a, a shift in Stallone's career, in the public perception of action movies and what we want from an action hero. Um, and, like, the, they plan for a sequel for this. It makes a decent amount of money. We'll get into that here very shortly. Makes I would watch dec- a sequel to this. I would. Yeah. Even this though is- I didn't really like it, I, it has potential for me specifically. I think I where think- Stallone's politics are right now, I don't want him to make a sequel to this. He's He's been so many places, man, because, like, the first thing he did after he hit with Rocky was make a pro-union movie, dude. Like the guy, the guy is not, he's not somebody who sticks to the left or the right. He's somebody who sticks to what he believes in. And even though I don't agree with him a lot of the fucking time. I was going to say, this is the man whose most recent political statement was last blood. So yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I don't, I don't agree with him most of the time, but I admire him for being his own person, not saying, you know, I'm a conservative and I believe all the conservative things or I'm a liberal and I believe all liberal things. No, he's like, you know what, this that makes sense to me, and so does that. So I'm going to do my own thing. He seems and, a lot more thoughtful than the kind of meathead persona I think a lot of us kind of pin on him. Absolutely. I've been saying that for fucking years, man. One of my... I'm just going to sidebar with the Stallone story really quickly because I think it's... this. I saw this on TikTok. It's Tina Fey uh, in like an SNL documentary, and she's like, uh, so yeah, my first year there, someone 
had me go give Sylvester Stallone the note that he needs to uh, enunciate more. And... <laughs> no, why? What? No. <laughs> and so she goes in like it's her first year. Like she doesn't know. Um, so she goes in and she's like, oh, uh, yeah, I'm getting sorry. I need the, you, you need to enunciate more. And he's like, yeah, what parts do they not understand? And Tina Fey just stands there and goes, of course, he's gotten this note before. Of course he has. <laughs> Like, of course, oh. this is something that people tell him. Yo, <laughs> I, I was, I was going to say, you know, like the, the reason that he talks like that, like, um, like when he was born, mm-hmm. like part of his face was damaged and like he has nerve damage on the side of his face. And which is why Rocky Balboa and subsequently Creed too, when he appears again briefly, right. uh, homeboy from heroes plays his son because he has the same thing milo ventimiglia yeah he has the same thing brilliant fucking casting and not to mention he fucking knocks it out of the park in both of those movies i think i heard him in an interview say yeah that was pretty much why i got the part fucking perfect you know actually sadly another reason he got the part is because uh sylvester stallone's son sage who originally originated that role in rocky five had died uh very tragically uh yeah. he was a filmmaker in his own right he did right. independent like surrealistic he was a real artsy fartsy dude like his shit nice. is way out there hell yeah it's really rad and like it really sucks that he died because i think he had a very unique voice while also being in the position to be someone who could bring that unique voice to the mainstream because mm-hmm. of basically because, because of, of heritage yeah but yes, <laughs> but you know, I mean, that's cool. Like, I would have been way into that. It sucks that he died for sure. It, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. But yeah. Yeah, but yeah, Mila Vince Milia is, I mean, yeah, it's bizarre. But uh, that one more thing on stage alone, just to, to tell hmm. you how out there he was. Frequent collaborator with Crispin Glover. Okay. Yeah, that, you know what? Everything I need to know. <laughs> that kind of Every, out there, dude. <laughs> everything I need to know. There it is. Just that, the, the, the other side of cinema, you know? Not the trashy, see, but just the real weird side of cinema. Like, because I didn't know if, yeah. So uh, that that really helps me narrow it down. Um, right on. Right on. So Cobra opens uh, in theaters on May 23rd. 1986 it opens at number one in it opens at number one it opens to 15.7 million yeah i mean basically because we're covering it so like well here's the the thing sometimes movies that do pretty well just don't get sequels and i think i mean i don't know called development hell Mm -hmm. i've heard of yeah it it exists um but yeah and for all we know, it it could have it could have been any number of things. A lot of times, it's something like script approval or whatever scheduling, mm-hmm. financing. Yeah, there's all of it. Many things that can go into it. Yeah. Um. The in in second place, um, a another sequel to a movie we've already talked about in this episode, Poltergeist Two: The Other Side, uh, which opens to twelve point four million. Uh, in third place in its second weekend down from number one the week before a movie that just got a sequel for the first time like last year and it was one of the biggest movies of the year uh, a little movie called Top Gun Aha! Uh-huh. 
Tony Scott's Top Gun. I still haven't uh, seen that new one, man. Uh, yeah, I haven't either. I, I believe I, either. I believe that it's good, but I think it's probably too gung ho, yeehaw, USA, yay, yay, yay for me. Well, you know the 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 foreign power has no name in the, in yeah, that movie. Well, and so. nice throwback to the eighties there because it was always just some like unnamed Arab or like Asian person. You know, like we don't know right. where they're from, but they're, you know, brownish. <laughs> that feels like a I mean, that feels like a late 80s, early 90s thing. Like once the once the Soviets can't be our enemies anymore and we have to focus somewhere else. Um, yeah, that that becomes a, a persistent theme. Yeah, the only like specifically named villains from the 80s I remember were the Libyans. Back yes, in Back to the Future. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I sold him a, a faulty bulb casing full of pinball parts. <laughs> uh, fourth place, uh, Short Circuit. Hey, I love that movie. And Fisher Stevens, I think it. it yeah. Fisher Stevens, it bears repeating, not Indian. Not, no. It, I mean, like, racism aside, does a great job in the role. I don't know what to tell you. He's phenomenal in the role. I don't know what to tell the you, The fact man. that you have to start it's that great. sentence with racism aside. Racism aside. <laughs> no, Oof. but man, you got Ali Sheedy in that first one, man. You got Michael McKeon in the second one, dude, as Fred. Man. Uh, and then in fifth place, Michael you got Mc- a little oh. movie okay, I guess called... we're moving on from Short Circuit. Please go ahead. Yes, we are, because I want to okay. wrap this Oh, but Michael up. McKeon. Sorry, go ahead. An Oscar input. <laughs> Sorry, I'm done. I'm done. I swear, I'm done. I have so much to say, but that's all I'm going to say. Dude, You're we welcome. can we can do short circuit two on unenfranchised sometime. You can get all your short circuit thoughts out. Yes, especially the second one. The first one's a superior film, but the second one is the more entertaining of the two. Um, fifth place, uh, fifth Michelle place, Pfeiffer yes. film called Sweet Liberty. I have no idea what that is. I've never heard of it. Me neither. Um, this movie uh, makes about $49 million across its box office run, um, which is about double the budget. I mean, yeah, that's it's So, you know, perfect sequel fodder, particularly for the, uh, you know, the cheap canon. And yet we don't ever get it. Probably because well, that's something like didn't want to come back for it. And that's something like Rambo where you build on it, too. That's a series that's going to keep making more money. Exactly. Where a lot of the times you get a franchise where the first one is always, you know, the first one's always going to be the one that makes the most money. Mm-hmm. But the sequels make enough money that it it's they justify the continued them. existence. Yeah. But like something like this movie, mm-hmm. at least the first couple sequels would have made way more than this one. Guaranteed. Right. There's no reason this should not have gotten. Again, I think canon is starting to lose steam at this point which makes continuing something like this it's going to require and particularly as the movies progress they're going to get bigger so yeah you can't do a b movie as a sequel you can't mm-hmm. do a sequel on a b movie budget no Absolutely you've not. you've got to you've got a terminator to that shit you gotta yes. you gotta take that up to the next level in every respect um but yeah so uh apparently critically not well liked uh the tomatometer score on this one 18 
percent. The critics' consensus that disengaged Sylvester Stallone plays the titular Cobra with no bite in this leaden action thriller, queasily fixated on wanton carnage and nothing else. Which feels I mean, that's fair, but also... uh, I mean, it's fair, but also that's the kind of movie it is. Exactly. Like, pull your head out of your ass. Come on. (laughs) Like, I did not particularly enjoy this film but i get why people like it like the reasons i don't like this movie are my own fucking fault and it's a whole half a star is my own fucking fault when we get to our ratings yeah well we'll get there uh the meta score is 25 based on generally unfavorable reviews from nine critics and the the letterbox score on this is a 3.0 tucker out of five stars how are you Rating 1986's Cobra. Look, it gets three stars because I only liked it two and a half stars much. But (laughs) it's my own fault for having unrealistic expectations for several people that are involved in the making of this film. So it gets an extra half a star because I know I'm just being a little bitch about it. So three stars. Three stars. It's four for me. I'm self-aware. Come on. I, I had a lot of fun with this one. I had a good time yeah. with it. Um, it's, it's I wanted fun to. Movie. I could see the fun there, but I was just having trouble connecting with it because of, like I said, my unrealistic expectations. While I was watching this the movie. The the star. While I was watching this movie, I pulled out my phone so I could check Amazon to see if this was thing was in four, on 4K yet so I could buy oh, it. Oh, I'd watch this in 4K. I wouldn't it would own it good. in 4K, but I would watch the fuck out of this on 4K. The amount of film grain on that, that 80s mm-hmm. shit, those lenses that they use. Yeah. That's Mm-mm-mm. the good shit. That's the good shit right there. Um, so, yeah, that, friends, that is our episode on 1986's Cobra! Cobra! We did it, boys. We did it. Cheers. High fives all around. This has been the Disenfranchised Podcast. Um, you can find us on all the social platforms. That's Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Facebook, and Threads at DisenfranchPod. Uh, you can shoot us an email, DisenfranchPod at gmail.com. Uh, let us know how we're doing, what you think of what we're doing, any and all of that. Uh, we do love to hear from you. And hey, if we like what you have to say, we might even read it out here. Speaking of liking what you have to say and reading it on the podcast, swing on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your uh, podcast, and leave us a nice big old five-star rating and review. That's going to help us find other listeners. And if you do leave us a review on, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we will read it on this podcast right in this little spot right here. Uh, And this is not the only show that we record from week to week. There's another show called What Are We Watching? And if you would like to hear it, you need to get over to patreon.com slash disenfranchpod. Drop us $5 a month and you get access not just to our second weekly show, What Are We Watching? Where we talk about the things that we watch on a weekly basis. And honestly, a lot of other stuff too. Like we had a good like 20 minute conversation just about beer tonight. Beer and and weed pens. Yeah, it was a deep, deep conversation. Um, But and and you get access to that plus movie reviews, commentary tracks, sister shows. It's all behind the paywall there. Patreon.com/disenfranchpod. Days worth of content. So much content. Like, and we've got we still got that seven day trial going on, Stephen. We do. I've not taken it down. Sign up. 
You sign up for a seven-day trial, listen to as much of it as you possibly can, forget to cancel it, and hey, we're all friends now. We're all family. We're That's like right. Olive Garden. At the Disenfranchised pod- Podcast Patreon, we're like Olive Garden. Everybody's family, man. You listen to our shit on Patreon, like, even if it's an old episode, we straight up get an email that says that you commented on it. Mm-hmm. So, like, we will be there, especially me. I will be there in a flash yeah, to reply to your comment. Good or ill, I yeah. will be there. <laughs> yeah. Come engage with us. Be family with us on Patreon. Yeah. That's the only way that you can be disenfranchised family. That's it. That's what it is, man. That's the only way to get unlimited breadsticks. Mm, now I want breadsticks. It's the only way. I want breadsticks now. I'm not going to lie. Oh, I'm sorry, Steven. That's my bad. <laughs> How dare you, sir? <laughs> I can't believe I've done this. No. Uh, anyway, I am uh, your host, Stephen Fox. Whether you can find me on Instagram, uh, Twitter, and Letterboxd. I'm also on Threads and Blue Sky at Chewy Walrus. Um, Brett, were he here, he'd be at sus underscore warlock on Instagram and Letterboxd. Tucker, where can we find you these days? Uh, you can find me on, hold on just a second. I'd like to apologize because I feel like this episode went off the rails a whole bunch because of me. And this is not an excuse, just a reason. You see, I had a lot of things to say about everyone involved in this film. But as I was pretty much indifferent to the film itself, I didn't have a lot to say about the film. So if I steered the conversation too much and made it so that we didn't talk enough about Cobra, I apologize to any fan that 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 might rub the wrong way. I'm sorry if you're a huge fan of Cobra and really wanted to hear us get much deeper on Cobra. All we talked about was like Cobra adjacent shit. And that's mostly my fault. So, like, hopefully, like, you still enjoy that because I'll probably still enjoy it while I'm editing it. But, like, not everybody's me. And, like, I'm a real big fan of me. So, of course, I'm going to love it. Like, <laughs> I can, I can attest. So, he is a very big fan of himself. So, hopefully, it, it didn't turn out negative. But if it did, just know that I apologize. It's my fault. Tune in next week where we don't talk about something that i have lopsided opinions about that have nothing to do with the film you can find me on youtube at ice 909 that's i-c-e-n-i-n-e the number zero and the number nine i'm also on the instagrams uh at tuck underscore mugs and yo we just dropped the team at tuck mugs just dropped a new tuck mugs post last week on the instagrams uh, it's pretty rad. It's something a little different. I was talking about last week that we had a little bit of a shuffle of employees. Some people had to go. We had to get some other people going on. Nothing negative. You know, it was all amicable splits. But the new team we've got going on, I think you can see from the post that we posted last week, it's the same voice, but it appeals to maybe a broader audience. So just go to Instagram at tuck underscore mugs. If you're into mugs, if you're into stuff that you can drink out of mugs, if you're into stories about how people came across certain mugs, it's for you. And yo, I'm I'm putting out an all point all points bulletin for people to submit more mugs to tuck mugs. Cause we've had some guests before. We Steven have. had his straight up gizmo mug on there. I did, yeah. 
and Brett had uh, an umbrella mug from the Resident Evils. Mm -hmm. And my good pal Jimmy from the Grand Voodoo Band uh, had a mug on there. We even had a listener, somebody we don't know from fucking Adam, dude. I don't know this dude. Oh, Steven knows him, but I don't know this motherfucker. But he sent us a mug, and it was the raddest shit I've ever seen in my life. Hi, Andy. Hi, Andy. Um, I guess we know each other now. We've been formally introduced. Uh, and he's a patron, so he's family, so he it is. doesn't matter. That's true. Like whatever, that is. we're already family. I don't know all my cousins, but we're all family, you know. Correct. Anyway, uh, yeah, Tuck Mugs, check it out. It's really rad. It's it's kind of a, a cool thing on Instagram because outside of going to the search page and just seeing softcore porn or rolling through, you know, your friends and just it? seeing pictures of their ugly kids, you know, like instead you can just check out some mugs, dude. There's no, there's no stakes, you know, you don't have to. Well, no, because like you, you don't put stakes in mugs. Like, you put them on plates and cut them with a fork and knife. You know, I would argue that you could eat soup out of a mug, so you could theoretically have steak out of a mug. I eat soup out of a mug all the time. Some people put steak in soup. Or you could eat stew out of a mug. It doesn't matter. This is the reason that I apologize for this episode, because of <laughs> shit like this. Thank you, Steven. <laughs> anyway, a yeah, steak in a mug sounds great. You know, actually, maybe the next Tuck Mugs, maybe I eat some soup out of a mug. It's been coffee for too long, man. It's coffee. It has been a lot of coffee. Get some yeah. soup up. In, you know, it's starting to get chilly. Let's get some soup up in this motherfucker. It, you know what? It's fall, man. Perfect. Let's do some vegetable soup, man. That's, Let's do it. We'll do another guest weather. mug. Well, you don't like soup. I forgot. I don't. Yeah, um, I don't do soup. Well, we'll get some soup mugs. See if we can get some uh, next guest. Put some soup in that motherfucker. Mm-hmm. What kind of soup are you eating? What's the story behind your mug? Let's do it. Email us at disenfranchpod at gmail.com with your tuck mugs submissions and that's all that's all i'm on the social medias cool and that that's it that is our episode on on 1986's cobra plus 20 other thoughts that tucker had over the course of the last 90 minutes you guys, I was telling Steven before the recording, like, I'm extremely manic all the time, and I have, like, these down days where, like, I'm just completely dead, and, like, I'm not depressed. I just, like, I'm really sluggish and not normal Tukey mode, you know, not all, like, freaking out every second of the day, but I don't know what happened. We started recording this podcast, like, everything, all the mania that should have happened today just like fucking exploded. I think that's what it is. I think you were having a down day and then <laughs> we started talking and you just started getting all like Jojo the circus boy. And Ooh, yeah. 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 I was like Al Pacino in heat, yes. but like no cocaine, <laughs> no cocaine needed. In fact, I'm, I'm drinking, um, not stimulants. What's the other thing called? What's it called? Like I'm drinking beer. And smoking weed. So, like, this is me on depressants, motherfucker. <laughs> like, get to this. Like, you don't want to fuck with me in the middle of the day before I've drank any beer or, like, had any weed. Because that's, like, full-fledged Tukey right there. Woo! Pro- Tukey Prime. Anyway. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway. Uh, bouncing off the walls again, you guys. Yo, it's like midnight. It's midnight it was, 20. Yeah, we're going to need to pull a plug on this motherfucker. I'm anyway. going to go outside and run a lap around the campground. <laughs> I believe it.
<laughs> I believe that you are. Can't wait. You're, God, you look unhinged right now. Thank you. I love you're, it. You're welcome. This has been the disenfranchised episode on Cobra. Kind of. I am your I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy, for my co-host Tucker and the absent Brett Wright. Until next time. Poppy! Poppy peed on my couch! <laughs>